So I saw that video a couple months ago, and uh, I thought it was really actually pretty fascinating. And for most of you, don't worry, it was supposed to be in that language. One's supposed to be in English, like it's okay, like everybody picked that up. The sound guys earlier, one of the guys in the back was like, we thought we'd played the wrong video in the first service. Like they were afraid that it was the wrong language. But uh, hopefully you picked up on that, like that it's basically it starts with an infant and it works all the way through to somebody who is 100 years old. And I saw this video and I was kind of captivated by just this idea of, 100 years and 150 seconds. In just two and a half minutes, you see this span of, of 100 years of life. I thought about that this morning as we talk about the truth that living things grow. Things that are alive will grow. You and I, no matter where we are, where, where, whether you're 12, whether you're 20, whether you're 30, whether you're 60, it doesn't matter. Living things will grow. In John 3, there was this interesting Um, dialogue between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he came to Jesus late at night and he said to Jesus, we understand that you come from God. We've seen all the incredible things that you've done. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, I tell you, a man will not see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, Nicodemus asks a very logical question. He says, how can I be born again if I'm old? Can I go back into my mother's womb? It's a pretty logical question. And then Jesus answers him this way in John 3, 6. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. See, what Jesus begins to explain to Nicodemus is just as you and I have a physical birth, whether you were born like I was in 1985, or whether you were born in 1972, or whether you were born in 1996, it doesn't matter. Just as you have a, a physical birth, we also have a spiritual birth. And what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus was, no, 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 no. You don't have to go back and be reborn physically, but you are born with a spirit. And in order for you to see the kingdom of God, that spirit must be born again. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that without, that without, the, without Jesus, without the mercy and the grace of God, we are dead in our sins. We are physically alive, but spiritually dead. And then it goes on to tell us that, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. So when we trust in Jesus, just like we talked about last week, we come to Jesus by grace through faith. What happens to us is the spirit of God is placed inside of us and our souls are made alive. And this is a one-time affair. This happens once. Maybe some of you can remember where you were the moment that you prayed to accept Jesus, to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you can think back. I was six years old. I was at a little uh, church, the church that I grew up in, First Baptist Church of Felicity, Ohio. I didn't know much, but I knew that I loved Jesus. I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew that Jesus had died for my sins. So at six years old, I placed my faith and trust, and in that moment, the Spirit of God made my soul alive. That happens once. Now, growing in Christ, that doesn't just happen one time. When you become a Christian, you aren't just automatically Christ-like. Can anybody attest to that? I can. No, no, no. Growing in Christ is a continual process. Being made alive is a one-time thing, but growing in Christ, becoming more Christ-like, is a continual process. We talked about this last week, that those who've been made alive in Christ. Those who've received the Holy Spirit, 
They've come to, they've received from, and now they are sent out by Jesus. There is a name for these people, and the name is disciple. A disciple is a word that we use a lot in church and that the Bible uses quite a bit, but we don't use really outside in popular culture, right? Like nobody's walking around going, hey, I'm David, this is my disciple. People think you're in a cult. It's weird. You get some weird looks at Starbucks, you understand? The idea of disciple, what is a disciple? And last week we talked about it. Somebody who's come to, received from, and is now sent out by Jesus. And we left off last week with the question, how do I know that I am a disciple? How do I know that I'm a disciple? What we've developed, we feel like, is a pretty, um, pretty simple uh, but pretty thorough diagnostic check for you as a believer in Christ or as not a believer in Christ to really begin to look at and go, am I a disciple or am I just a follower? Remember we talked about that last week? Jesus had a lot of followers, but he only had a couple disciples. Lots of people that were near Jesus that wanted to see him do some incredible things but they didn't actually want to give their lives and submit to him as Lord. So it's very possible for us to attend a church, be in a missional community, try to do some good things and not be a disciple of Jesus. So how do we know if we're a disciple of Jesus? I believe we can break it down to three words and those words are grow, give, go. Grow, give, go. A disciple of Christ will be growing in Jesus giving of Jesus and going for Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at this idea. We're going to look at this first word. What does it mean to grow in Christ? I've been made alive in in Christ by grace, through faith. What does it look like now for me to begin to grow as a disciple of Jesus? If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 55. If you don't have a Bible, don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You'll stop by the connection table on your way out. We have one there for you free. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible this morning, it'll be on the screen behind me. It's also on the back side of the insert in your worship guide. We want everybody to have an opportunity to follow along in the word this morning. Isaiah 55. We'll start in verse 6. What I want to look at this morning, the truth that I want to unpack is that a growing disciple of Jesus will be growing in the word, in prayer, in a relationship with other believers. A disciple of Jesus will be growing in the word, in prayer, and in relationship with other believers. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6, says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a sign for the Lord, an everlasting sign 
that shall not be cut off. See, when we come to Jesus, we read last week that that God beckons us to come. Those who are hungry, those who are poor, those who are broken, those who are in need to come to Christ. He calls us. And when we come to him, we receive from him the Holy Spirit. And then we're sent out. But you notice in verse 6, after all of these things happen, Isaiah still tells the people to seek the Lord. Just because we've come to Christ to accept of him as salvation doesn't mean that we get to stop seeking after him. Doesn't mean that we continue to press in harder and harder every day to know more about him. And the incredible thing about God is he is infinite. And he cannot be known fully by our finite minds. So every day, We can learn new things about him, deeper things about him. And if we live to be a hundred years old, we will have not even begun to plumb the depths of the richness and truth and beauty of our great God. So Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. He says, forsake the ways that you went about before seeking truth and trying to live. He says, no, 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 seek the Lord. In verse 10, he says, For as the rain and the snow water the earth, so the word of the Lord will water the souls of those who seek after him. You ever felt just like dry in your soul? Like like you've had, like you just can't pinpoint why it is that you just can't quite get it together. There's something that's not satisfying. He said last week that Augustine said that we were made for God And our souls are restless until they rest in him. It's this idea that God says, just as the rain and snow cause the the earth to grow, so my word will cause your spirit to flourish. And in verse 13, he says, instead of the thorn and the briar shall come up the cypress and the myrtle. Isaiah gives us this picture of this kind of dry, arid wasteland. And he says that when the word of the Lord, we are made alive, when God speaks life into our souls and we begin to listen to his words and obey his words instead of the thorn and the briar that was in our soul before come up the cypress and the myrtle and God enables our souls to flourish under his love and his leadership and his care. That's what it looks like to begin to grow as a disciple in Christ that our souls might be richly satisfied in our creator through Jesus, our savior. So how do we do this? How do we begin to grow in Christ? I think there's three ways that we do it. Number one, I think we grow through his word. I think we grow in Christ through his word. Um, Anybody in here like love Chick-fil-A? Come on. Come on, somebody, somebody give me a witness. Testify. Chick-fil-A? No. All right. I love Chick-fil-A. My wife loves Chick-fil-A. We've spent more money at the Chick-fil-A in our time together than we have spent at every other restaurant combined. All right? Now, some of y'all didn't raise your hands, and you're Chick-fil-A atheists, and that's cool. Like, I don't, I don't blame you for not believing, but I just need you to know that the first time I had Chick-fil-A, it was a life-changing experience for me. I remember sitting down, I was just like, this perfectly breaded, all white meat, fried chicken breast on a golden bun and fries that look like Eggos. This is incredible. And then I ate it and it was wonderful. And I wanted to go back. And some of you guys right now are like, baby, we got to get out of here and go get Chick-fil-A. You can't. It's Sunday. They love Jesus. They are closed. 
I gotta wait till tomorrow. I told this, I said this illustration earlier, and after I got off stage, Allison was like, I'm gonna eat Chick-fil-A tomorrow. I was like, yeah, I know. Some of you guys immediately started to crave that, right? Like you started thinking about that chicken sandwich, you started thinking about that waffle fry, you started thinking about those things, you started going, man, that would be delicious right now. I'm craving that. Why? Because it's food. Your body craves food, right? Why does your body crave food? It's natural for your body to crave food. Why? Because food sustains you, helps you to grow, keeps you strong, gives you energy. All of these things that food provides for your physical body. That's why we crave it deep in our stomachs. You see, the scriptures say that they are spiritual food for our soul. In much the same way that our physical bodies crave actual food, so our souls crave spiritual food. And the spiritual food that we feed them is the word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's this interesting thing that takes place where God has led the people out of Egypt. Uh, Moses has led the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Ten plagues cross the Red Sea. They're into the desert now. And what begins to happen is that people begin to grumble because they go, we don't have any food, Moses. You led us out here to die of starvation in the wilderness. And what God does is he does this incredible thing where he begins to provide every single day food from heaven. Now, I've had food from some good restaurants, but I've never had food from heaven. So I imagine it's probably pretty good. And every morning, the people begin to eat of this food. And they begin to trust that the Lord will provide for them. But what Moses tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. He says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and then he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out from the mouth of the Lord. Moses tells him, no, 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 you you think that you were being fed by this manna, but what was ultimately happening is your soul was beginning to rely on God and your soul was then feasting on his word. See, in John chapter one, John calls Jesus the word of God. Remember that? He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall no longer hunger. So if we take John 1, the word of God, and we take John 6, the bread of life, we understand that the word of God is the bread of life. That Jesus is the food on which our souls need to feast in order to live and grow strong and flourish. So how do we feed our souls on the bread of life? It's by spending time in the word of God? How do we feed our souls? How do we take advantage of the word of God who is the bread of life? It's by spending time in the word. A personal time in the word is paramount, paramount to your growth as a disciple in Christ. A personal time in the word is paramount to your growth as a disciple of Christ. We generally call this a quiet time. Um, Sometimes we'll say, how is your quiet time? Um, some people, like, again, that's just another church phrase. Sometimes we throw around and people are like, what's a quiet time? Is it like a timeout? I don't, I'm an adult. I'm not in timeout anymore. 
No, no. Quiet time is an intentional time set aside each day to read and personally reflect on God's word. The time you set aside each day to personally read and reflect on God's word. Quiet time needs to be three things. First, it needs to be personal. Your quiet time needs to be personal. Now, let me say this. We love it if you would get together with other believers and read the word. Encourage it. Husbands, you, you want to you have a Christ-centered marriage and a Christ-centered home? You need to read the word together with your wife. Study the word together with your wife. Singles, you, you want to you begin to grow together in community? You need to start getting with some friends and reading the word together. We love that. Encourage that. But that should never take the place of your personal time in the word. Because that's the time where God speaks directly to you. Where you as an individual are able to feed your soul. So your quiet time should be personal. It should just be you. You make other times for times with uh, your husband or with your wife. You make other times for times with friends or family. But you should have a personal time each week where you're studying the word. Secondly, it should be intentional. Um, anybody in here make meal plans like during the week? Like you like have a plan for like what you're going to eat? Don't be embarrassed. No, type A's. Come on. There you go. Now you're there. Okay. Uh, we like my wife makes a meal plan and it's like, okay, this is what, here's what we're eating Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to go to the grocery store and get these things. So we're not, you know, kind of sitting around on Monday night going, I don't know. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? That, that's been the biggest indecisive moment thing in our marriage for probably three years. It's just like, I don't know. What do you want to eat tonight? So we made a meal plan in much the same way that you would make a plan in order to feed yourself, okay? So I'm going to eat lunch at this time, eat dinner at this time. You need to make a plan for when you're going to spend time in the Word. You need to be intentional about the time that you're going to spend in the Word. You also need to have a plan of what you're going to read. Don't just open your Bible and wing it. Be like, okay, Leviticus today. Bible's so boring. Like, it's just names. You don't have a plan for how you're going to read the word. Listen, if you'll Google, just Google is a great invention. Take advantage of it. If you'll just Google Bible reading plans, you will find millions, millions of links that will give you a great opportunity to begin every day to be in the word. Don't be haphazard about it. Make a time that you're going to sit down and read the word. Find a plan that you're going to follow and stick to as you read the word. There are times when God's going to lead you to specific things, and maybe you can just read the Psalms. But listen, you've got to be intentional about this. Much the same way that you're intentional about feeding yourself, you've got to be intentional about feeding your soul. Quiet time needs to be personal, needs to be intentional. Third, it needs to be daily. It needs to be daily. And I know some of you guys are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know my life. I wake up at 6 a.m. and I go full blast until midnight when I fall face down in my bed in my clothes. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's true. And, and some of us are probably much busier than others. However, I would challenge you maybe to, to just take stock of one day. Just what you do every day. Just, just, one, just one day. What do I do during the day? And then begin to look for chunks of time where time's being wasted. Where time's being wasted on Facebook or Twitter watching reruns of The Big Bang Theory. And I love Sheldon Cooper as much as the next guy, but I can probably cut out an episode or two and spend some time in God's Word because I believe that ultimately you're going to find during your day that you have the time 
to be in the word. It's just whether or not you're going to take advantage of it. Be in the word. Be in it daily. Because here's one of my greatest fear. One of my greatest fears about the church. I believe if we're not careful, we can become spiritual bulimics. Here's what I mean by that. If the word is the bread of life, and if we're supposed to, just like physically, we're supposed to eat every day to maintain our health, maintain our strength, in much the same way, I think that as we feed our souls every single day. But what happens is, as believers, we become spiritually bulimic. And we just gorge ourselves on the word on Sunday morning and what's preached from the stage. And then we try to make that last from that Sunday until the next Sunday when we can be back in the word. And then what happens is we never actually learn the word for ourselves. We never actually take things in for ourselves. We just simply regurgitate back what we heard on Sunday morning. And it's not a healthy way for our souls to live. Instead, I think that you would begin to see yourself grow in the word if you would set aside a personal, intentional, daily time in the word. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever the time that you have to begin to feed your soul on the word of God. Feed your soul on the word of God. It is important. It is of critical importance for your growth as a disciple in Christ. First way we grow is through the word. Second way we grow is through prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is simply communicating with God. The health of any relationship is often based on how well the two parties communicate. Do you agree with that? The health of any relationship is based on how well the two parties are communicating. So when we enter into a covenant relationship with God, which is what we do at salvation, we say, God, I I give you my sins and he gives us Jesus's righteousness and the Holy Spirit. We have now entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord. Some of you guys have championed that. It's not religion, it's a relationship. Yes, and if it is a relationship, then it functions like a relationship, which means the two parties have to talk to one another. God communicates to us through his spirit and through his word. How do we communicate back to God? We do that through prayer. We do it through prayer. Um, I think back on my first year of marriage, and I look around, and and folks that I talk to about their first year of marriage, um, the problems that often come up in that first year of a covenant relationship, the, the biggest problems that happen in the first year of marriage, I would say boil down to two major factors. One is communication, and the other is finances. Do you agree? Think back to your first year of marriage and think. The biggest arguments you had, the biggest disagreements you had, the biggest compromises you had to make were on communication. How do we talk to one another? And finances. How do we spend our money? In much the same way that I believe that plagues and is really tough for young husbands and wives to work through, I think it's also the same thing for young believers. I think sometimes the two hardest areas for young believers is in the area of communicating with God and the area of finances. Because when we don't pray and we don't give, our relationship with God's not going to feel great. So prayer is very, very important to our growing together and growing as a disciple in Christ. In our relationship with God, growing stronger, deeper, that God may reveal himself more and more powerfully to us, that our faith may grow by the day. Part of that comes through communicating with God. Jesus understood this. That's why Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, he teaches the disciples, starting in verse 5, he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. 
But you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So he says, don't just pray when there's people around so they think you're super spiritual. He says, no, no, no. When you pray, if you really want to grow in your prayer life, then just like growing in the word, you need to find some intentional time to be with the Lord. And it needs to be just you and the Lord. He says, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, when you pray, don't just simply go in there and go, uh, all right, I'm just going to talk here and figure out what happens. He goes, no, 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 no. There, there's a structure to this. There's, a, there's an appropriate way that we approach the Father, that we communicate back to God. And that's where Jesus teaches the disciples in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Anybody familiar with that? Okay, it's called the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because it's actually the Lord's Prayer. It's the way that Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. And it's structured. If you read through it, you can see the structure of this prayer. How does it start out? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, Jesus understands that his intentional time of prayer should start with praise and thanksgiving. And so should ours. Our prayers should begin with thanking God for who he is and what he's done. Our prayers should just begin with us humbly and reverently bowing our heads and our eyes before the Father and saying, You, the King of glory, thank you that you have given me this day and this family and the things that you've blessed us with. Thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your kindness. We petition the Lord, we begin by humbling ourselves before the Lord and reverently thanking him for who he is and what he's done. The second part, Jesus says, forgive us our debts. What's he do? The second part of our prayer should be confessing sin because when it is that we find ourselves in the presence of the holy God, we recognize that we are sinful, that I have no right to stand in the presence of the holy God if it were not for the person and work of Jesus. So instead of simply trying to sweep those things under the rug or pretend that God doesn't already know every, my every action, my every thought, the every motive and intent of my heart, I simply lay those things bare before the Father and throw myself at his mercy and say, this is me, I'm jacked up, this is where I've fallen short, this is where I've sinned against you. We confess those things to the Father. First John, John tells us, anybody who says they don't have sin is a liar. Truth's not in him. But if we confess our sin before the Father, he is faithful to forgive our sins. So when we come to God and say, I'm not going to hide from you who I am. You know my every thought, my every action. I'm going to confess these things to you and throw myself at your mercy that you might forgive me. It says that God is pleased and faithful to forgive our sins. Then when we thank him for who he is, for what he's done, We've confessed to him that we fall short. He's forgiven us of our sins. Then we petition him. What's he say? Give us this day our daily bread. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. What's he doing? He's praying for provision. He's praying for protection. God, provide for me. Protect me. Bless me. Bless my family. Bless my neighbor. Bless my endeavors. 
We don't just start our prayer by going, God, these are the things that I need. Here's my list. Like he's some sort of cosmic vending machine. No, 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 no. We approach God reverently, humbly. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. I don't deserve your grace. Here's who I am. I throw myself at your mercy. God, I trust that you're faithful to forgive. Now, Father, I pray for your protection, for your provision, for your blessing. That is when we begin to grow. That's when we begin to grow. That takes intention. That takes discipline. It takes throwing ourselves at the feet of the Father. Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. We humbly come and God receives us in our humility for his good name, for our joy. So we grow through the word, we grow through prayer, finally we grow through accountability. We grow better together. We were not designed to grow by ourselves. Um, so I spent most of my life in Augusta, Georgia, or right outside of Augusta, Georgia, North Augusta, uh, South Carolina, where's my, where my folks live. And um, Augusta is well known for the Masters, the Masters Tournament, the Augusta National. Anybody been to the Augusta National? It is beautiful. You, you guys see it on TV, and you're just like, that's breathtaking. You've got to see it in person. It's incredible. The most beautiful thing probably about the Augusta National Golf Course uh, is the azaleas. Uh, the time that the Masters is played, the azaleas are in bloom, and they are incredible. Um, so when we look at the azalea, if you take an azalea flower just by itself, it's, it's beautiful, right? Like you look at this, this, this red or this pink or this white, beautiful flower in bloom, and it's really pretty. But when you take an entire fairway, rows and rows and rows of azaleas, it's breathtaking. It's like nothing that you've ever seen when all of these beautiful flowers begin to bloom together. That's God's idea for the church. That you and I, as beautiful as our personal, individual salvation is, as beautiful as that story is, it is even more breathtaking, beautiful, and God-honoring and glorifying when we begin to grow together. So we grow through the word, we grow through prayer, and we grow through our relationships, our accountability to one another. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, chapter 24, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, verse 24, he says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what this idea of stir one another up means? It means to prod each other along means to encourage, to challenge. means to press each other's buttons. Uh, I have a sister who's two and a half years younger than I am. And, and growing up, my sister knew how to press my buttons more than anybody else on this earth. And still to this day, she does. And I love her. And we have a great relationship, but she knows how to press my buttons. She knows how to stir me up. She knows how to prod me along. That's this idea here. That we, as believers in Christ, growing together, would look for ways not to irritate or annoy, but to stir up one another, to, to prod one another, to challenge one another, to encourage one another, to say, I want to see you grow. I want to see your spirit flourish in the word. So how do we do that in the church of Cane Bay? We do it through a system we call huddles. We do it through a system that we call huddles. A huddle is simply two or three people of the same gender that get together once a week 
and they read God's word together, and they write in a journal about God's word together. They pray together and pray for one another, and then they challenge and encourage each other. They've given each other the opportunity to speak into their lives and say, man, how's your quiet time this week? How's, how's your time been in the Word? How have you been this week as a husband? How, how have you been serving your wife? How have you been serving your husband this week? What are some things that you're struggling with that, that I can keep you accountable for, that I, can, that I can challenge you on, that I can encourage you in? This takes humility. This takes honesty. This takes a little bit of us putting aside the idea that we have everything together and everything's fine and don't worry about me. I'm going to make this happen. No, no, no. We set that aside and say, man, I'm broke and I'm going to need you to help me through the spirit be fixed for the name of Jesus so that his renown might be known through my life. And when that happens, our souls flourish and we begin to grow, but it doesn't happen by ourselves. It only happens when we're in a relationship with one another. So who, who have you given permission to speak into your life without getting you offended? We're, such, we're so easily offended as a culture, as a people. Don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. Proverbs says that a wise man doesn't, he doesn't back up against reproof, but he accepts it. His knowledge, he changes. Who have you given permission to speak into your life? In love, not in judgment, I, I don't need somebody else that's going to come to me and just tell me, point out all the areas of my life that I'm doing wrong. No, no, no. I need a brother who loves me and says, man, this, this is an area where I think you're, you're really damaging your relationship to Alice. And this is a place where I think you're really failing in your leadership. And, and man, I love you. And by God's grace, I want to see you improve in this area. And I go, you know what? You're right. I want to do that too. Who's speaking into your life? Anybody? You allowing anybody to speak into your life? Are we growing together? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, and this is a pretty common verse. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Who's got your back? Who, who's that person that you can call any time of the day and say, man, I, I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me point me to Jesus. Who's that person that we're talking about? We spend time in the word together. We want to grow together. It's important. It's biblical. It's right. Helps us to grow as a disciple of Christ in the word, in prayer, in our relationship to each other. Because a disciple is growing in the word, in prayer, and his relationships to other people. So let me ask you these questions as I close. Can you, can you make time this week to study the word? Can you make time this week to personally, intentionally spend time in the Word of God? Can you make time this week to spend time in prayer, communicating with God, thanking Him for who He is and what He's done, confessing that you're sinful, asking for forgiveness, and then asking God for His provision, for His protection, for His blessing? And find time this week. If you're not in a huddle, 
can you, can you pull out all the stops this week, all the excuses, all the reasons we can't do it, don't have time, don't want to do it, don't know anybody? Can we, can we pull out all those stops and start looking for opportunities to get into a huddle? It's important. We grow better together than we do by ourselves. You don't have a way to get into a huddle? Man, missional community is the best place. If you're plugged into a missional community, ask your missional community about get, missional community leader about getting into a huddle. If you want to ask me about getting into a huddle, I, I'm going to point you to a missional community because the best places that huddles form are when we're doing life together once a week in a missional community. This card that we've given you, this disciple card that's on your seat, man, that, that's just a diagnostic guide. Just some questions that you can ask to yourself during your personal time of study, during your time together in a huddle. Just says, man, am I growing in the word this week? Am I growing in prayer? Am I allowing others to challenge and encourage me? Use that as a guide, as a tool to remind yourself to feed your soul and to grow in the grace and the truth of God's word. So we've got a gift for you on the way out that's just kind of a tangible thing for you to hold on to. It's, it's just a, a pine sapling. We'd like for you to take that home and, and plant that. Uh, and, and then really kind of begin to care about it and watch it grow. And as it grows, use that as a reminder that in much the same way that things that are alive grow, so our souls have been made alive through Christ will grow. And it takes time. It takes intention. It takes some effort. But over time, as we pursue and seek after Jesus, who sought after us, will grow tall, strong, with deep roots that we might grow as a disciple of Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it. Thank you for the truth of it. God, thank you that you have not left us alone to try to determine who you are, what you desire. But God, you've made it clear through your word So God, I pray this week, God, that we would carve out time to be in your word. We would carve out time to feed our souls. God, that we would be intentional about it. We wouldn't put it off. God, but there would be a priority, an urgency about seeking you in your word. Father, I pray for those in this room who, who, like me, struggle with in prayer. God, I struggle sometimes to communicate properly to you. And I, God, I think it's because I haven't obeyed your word. So quick to come to you with petition, Father, that I forget sometimes to just praise you for who you are and what you've done. God, I don't want to allow unconfessed or ongoing sin in my life to keep me from growing in you. And and God, I pray for the same thing for these folks, that you would convict them of sin, that they would be quick to repent, they would be quick to throw those things at your feet. God, and that in your mercy, you would exalt the humble. Father, I pray that we as a church would begin to grow together to, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to stir one another up to love and to good works. We would be not a church of individuals, Father, but that we would be a church that as a family passionately pursues your glory and your renown in this community. So I pray for those, Father, who came in here this morning and they feel alone. God, I pray that you would bring a friend 
friend who sticks closer than a brother, a friend who desires to push them to Jesus. You are a desire, you're our hope. You are the reason that we live and breathe. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.